Good evening and welcome to the Coffee Clash. The Coffee Clash and Special Needs Talk Radio Network feature outstanding programming for the special needs community. Our team of hosts provide educational interviews. Our shows are not designed to provide listeners with specific or personal medical, legal, or professional service or advice. Parents of children with health issues should always consult their health care provider for medical advice, medications, or treatment. Any show discussing rights and law for special needs children and special education are presented as general information and not legal advice. Special Needs Coffee Clash Limited does not promote any host or guest individual practice, programs, treatments, or products. We thank you for joining us and are proud to provide excellence in broadcasting for the special needs community. And now, on to the interview. Good evening, and welcome to the Coffee Clutch. My name is Angela Eaton, and I will be hosting this series of shows exploring the topic of synesthesia. Tonight's show is an introduction to synesthesia, and I'm lucky to have Dr. Sean Day here to start us off. Dr. Day is a multiple synesthete himself and has interacted with and done ethnological study of other synesthetes for over 35 years. In 1993, he started the Synesthesia List, an international email forum for synesthetes and researchers. He assisted in founding the American Synesthesia Association in 1995 and has served as its president for the past 10 years. He has published academic articles on the topic, consulted for books, television, and films, and given presentations on the topic worldwide. Currently, he's on the faculty of Trident Technical College in Charleston, South Carolina, where he teaches anthropology. Dr. Day, welcome to the Coffee Clutch. Thank you for having me. Wonderful. Well, we're going to get right down to business because we have a lot to talk about. So let's start with the basics. For people who have never heard the term before, what exactly is synesthesia? Okay, so not easy to explain, but uh, let me let me try it this way. Okay, synesthesia is a set of over sixty or more related traits that can be divided into two groups. With one group, what you have is the stimuli to what we generally think of as being one sense produces perception not only in that sense, but in one or more other senses. So, for example, like not only do you smell a perfume, but you'll also see things produced from the smell of, of a perfume. Or not only do you taste a certain flavor, but it will also produce auditory sensations. Different flavors will have different tones, for example. Um, the other set of synesthesia is where certain, set, uh, certain sets of cognitive ideas that usually come in series. So, okay, put this in easier words. Things like numbers, letters, days of the weeks, months, people's names, things like that that fall into series and sets, they take on an additional sensory percep uh, perception aspect, most often colors, but it could also be something like flavors, such that, for example, uh, the days of the week each have their specific color, or 
um, people's names have different flavors. So, it's, uh, is that that's a basic introductory definition of the situation. Yes, I think it is. And uh, my question is, is, is this a disorder or is it just a different thing? Um, okay, it's not a disorder. It's the, for the past 10 years or more, I've been referring to it as a trait. It's similar, I, I find it some, somewhat similar to uh, a situation like having green eyes or red hair. Um, having red hair is not necessarily a disorder. It's atypical. And if you are in a culture that doesn't understand having red hair or one way or another demonizes it for some reason or another or, other, or, or puts it into some type of holy or special sacred aspect, well, okay, there's that. But having red hair in and of itself is not something that you need a cure for or treatment for or anything like that. Uh, say the same way with uh, just about any type of synesthesia. Uh, the American Medical Association recognizes synesthesia and does not consider it to be a disorder, uh, does not consider it to be something in need of, tr of treatment. The same with the American Psychiatric Association. This is just, um, synesthesia is just a very atypical, sort of unusual and interesting trait that a certain small percentage of the world population has. I, I really love how you describe that. Uh, it, that's fantastic. Um, because there is a lot of misunderstanding. First of all, not a lot of people have heard of synesthesia. And if they do, I, um, I could see that often people might be quick to jump to conclusions. I've, I've heard anecdotal stories of um, people being um, thought to be having a psychotic break or having schizophrenia or something crazy like that. And that's really one of the reasons why I wanted to do this interview um, was to get the word out. And, and I really just enjoy your description of, of it as being a trait. So um, how common is it then? Um, so we've got different demographics, different numbers on it, but um, probably the best study going so far, which is coming out of the UK and has been replicated and is, is continuing to be replicated elsewhere, indicates that around about 3.7% of the world population has at least one type of synesthesia and keep in mind that there's probably easily over 60 different types. So, in other words, about one out of 27 people has at least one type of congenital uh, synesthesia. In other words, they're, they're born that way. So, I think it's a little more common than people would think. I mean, yeah, in, it's in a, a lot more common than school. people think. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. But so that kind of brings me to the question of why don't we hear about this? Why do you not hear about people talking about, you know, how the music tastes or, you know, how their letters 
have colors? Um, a number of different reasons, but one of the reasons is that, okay, we've got a couple of thousand years worth of history in our overarching world culture, uh, stemming, among other things, from uh, like prayer culture. We've got things stemming from Socrates, Plato, uh, the ancient Greeks, uh, giving us the idea that we have four, or no, that we have five senses that work in a very particular way and that they do not integrate. Sight is sight, smell is smell, hearing is hearing, and if there are sounds, you don't see them. If there are colors, you don't hear them. This philosophical, um, somewhat scientific idea or set of ideas has pervaded everything and such that we're brought up that way from the get-go in our culture and the current findings in science and in neurology within the last 25 or 30 years have not erased that from our grade school science books yet it's Still, what kindergarten teachers and say, elementary teachers teach, right? and it's like with uh, it's like with very solid foundations. Right? But the thing is that those foundations are now falling apart. No, hand in hand with that, because that's the way that we look at the senses, and because we are familiar with people who do have schizophrenia and who do have psychotic breakdowns and things like that, we immediately jump to the idea that anybody talking about hearing sounds or smelling colors or things like that is having a schizophrenic episode. We've seen, schiz- we've seen schizophrenics, and we are firmly convinced that the senses work the way that the ancient Greeks said they did. So, but put it all together, and that's most synesthetes around the world are very reluctant to talk about their synesthesia to anybody, and if they do, they're very often considered to be crazy. So it's only with the advent of recent neurosciences that synesthetes are starting to be willing to come out of the closet and brave the situation by taking up the new scientific discoveries and pushing them in people's faces. I, I really enjoy that analogy of coming out of the closet. That, um, that, that, that's the term that a lot of synesthetes use. They, they, they have borrow that straight from the gay and lesbian community, and that's how they describe what they do themselves, coming out of the closet. I would agree, because uh, when you tell somebody that, you're going to get a lot of raised eyebrows. So you said 3.7% maybe of the world's population has one type. Yeah. Well, that's a lot of people who don't have it and don't understand it, right? Mm-hmm. Um and uh, anecdotally, again, um, people that I've spoke to, um, I've, I've asked them, you know, was there a time in grade school 
when you mentioned something and got a negative reaction. Um, you know, is and and everybody I talked to said yes. Um, um, there was a eleven year old girl I spoke to and and she said, well, we were doing math and my teacher was trying to help me and we came up with the answer, but I said, but that's yellow. And her teacher looked at her like, what are you talking about? It's yellow, you know? So right away, of course, she shut up. Um, it seems to be very common. And don't you think also, I've, I've also met people or heard stories of people who don't realize that the way that they perceive the world is any different than anybody else. Yep. I mean, if this is the way you've known the world your whole life, you don't know that it's maybe not typical. Uh, yeah, I've, I've encountered quite a lot of stories like that over my time, um, far more often from seats younger than maybe like their mid-20s or so. Usually by the time that most seats turn, you know, are, are in their mid-20s or such, they... Uh, something or another sort of, um, well, okay, they, they they finally hit the wall with some type of experience and realize that their way of, of seeing the world is not typical. Um, so I, I mean, I, I have encountered synesthetes as old as in their 50s or 60s who were still unaware that other people didn't perceive the world the way they did. But um, like, on the other hand, I myself, I was aware that like that other people didn't see music or see uh, what see odors and taste. Like, I mean, I was aware that other people around me didn't have synesthesia when I was maybe like um, six or seven years old. And so, in part, it really depends upon what type of synesthesia you have and who's around you. And it's like. Some types, uh, some types of synesthesia, like for instance, experiencing colored letters or numbers, that's something where uh, it turns out that quite a lot of synesthetes with that kind of situation go for quite a long time before realizing that other people don't see numbers or letters in color. But if you have something, for example, like uh, okay, well, like I, I have, I see colors for music different musical instruments produce different colors and I grew up in a very musical family with uh, interacting with a lot of other musicians so right from the start I knew that my siblings, my parents other musicians that I was interacting with didn't see music in colors because I was talking with them they were talking with me it was right there it's like my experience was probably very unusual or atypical along those lines. I consider myself sort of lucky that I realized at a very early age what was going on. A lot of synesthetes don't, although fortunately within the last 10 years there's a lot more information coming on out about synesthesia, such as your program. Mm-hmm. Very good. Well, I have a question for you. I think people might be wondering, when you say, for instance, that you see colors when you hear music, are you seeing this in front of you, or or how exactly does that work? Okay, to to, to sort of put this in a bit of context, 
generally for when synesthetes say that they see something, they see a color or such like that, for some type of experience like music or smells or odors or numbers or something like that, about 85% of them, they're not actually seeing something out there in front of them per se. Instead, they have this sense of a color perhaps in the mind's eye, or they have a very definite association with the color, such that like what the letter A is red, or the sound of a saxophone is green. There's an association that's automatic and immediate, but they don't actually see anything. But for the other 15% or so of synesthetes, they actually do see something out there. And if you do a brain scan, then it'll show that their brain, their eyes, all, the whole system there is operating just like they were looking at something and tracking something and tracing something that is moving around out there. Now, for me with music, I've got that type of synesthesia where I'm actually seeing things out there in front of me. So that, for example, if an electric guitar is playing, I see in front of me a glowing red ball of electric ionized particles. It's like plasma, like, like, like in a plasma, like, like in your physics class, such like that, like floating out in front of me in space. Or if I hear a French horn, I see sheets of yellow paper out in front of me. It's like, and it's like with my type of synesthesia, there's these things that I see. They have color. They have. It's like they look like they're made out of a certain material. They're in a precise place so that I can point to exactly where they are. They move. So. Mm-hmm. And the way you describe that, um, it sounds very familiar to me. I, I can almost always tell um, a, a true synesthete when I'm talking to them because when they describe their color or their experience, it is very specific. It is not just blue. It's turquoise blue with a hint of purple or <laughs> something like that. Would you agree? Yes, yes, definitely. For, for, for the ones that have color, the colors are extremely precise, and it's like that's the way it is with me for the colors I see mm-hmm. for music or for flavors. Uh, for other synesthetes who have, for example, flavored words or flavored names, the flavors are very specific. Um, it's not just the flavor of fruit or of meat or such but the flavor of a very particular type of meat spiced a certain way. So mm-hmm. highly specific like with like whatever it is. And if, if you live with a synesthete, you'll know that color is a very important, usually important part of their world. Well, um, so, well most, most, uh, most types of synesthesia, um, probably about 90% of all types of synesthesia, the synesthetic perception is visual and colored. So, mm-hmm. so so if you're talking about congenital synesthesia at all, about nine out of ten times you're talking about a person perceiving colors, synesthetic colors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah uh, 
I well, my my daughter experiences synesthesia, and we had to paint her room a color that she really enjoyed. And I and I I'm very aware now wherever we are, if and, and if you're in a place that's very colorful, I can just sort of see her get kind of excited. And if you go to the if you go to Home Depot or Lowe's and look at the paint samples, that's pretty exciting. She tells me that's kind of like an orchestra to her. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which sounds like a lot of fun. So yeah. you mentioned a couple of things that I wanted to highlight. You said that this, this experience or perception is automatic and immediate. So it's different than an association or like a memory, correct? Right. That, that, that's that's it in a nutshell. Um, the, if you have congenital synesthesia, then the perceptions are automatic, immediate, almost totally invariable um, unless you... Uh, there are things that can tweak the colors or the flavors or whatever just slightly, but in general it's virtually invariable. And... It'll say it's also extremely idiosyncratic. So that, mm. for example, if you get one synesthete who has colored letters here, for that individual it might be that A is red and B is blue and C is yellow. For a different synesthete with colored letters, the colors will be totally different. There's very little that's going to there's almost nothing that's going to be the same all the way across the board from one synesthete to the next to the next other than just that they have synesthesia that works like synesthesia. But the individual associations for each item will almost always be totally and completely different. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, I'd like to talk about some of the, I guess, benefits. Some people say it's sort of a you know, a, a, a super sense, you could say, and whether there's any drawbacks. Um, maybe you could speak to that a little bit. Okay. I've got a very standard stock reply to that that I've built up over my last 30 or so years of dealing with synesthesia and talking about synesthesia, which is that I'm going to throw a question back at you. Are you able to, okay. smell, are, are you able to smell things? Yes, I am. Okay, you have a sense of smell. Okay, so, all right, with your sense of smell, you have, during your lifetime, experienced, um, like, for instance, the smell of your favorite home-cooked meal and the smell of cookies Mm -hmm. and the smell of your favorite perfume and the smell of your favorite cologne, things like that, smells that you really enjoy, right? Okay. Mm And you've also, during your lifetime, probably also smelled manure and vomit and extremely filthy public restrooms and other absolutely horrid smells, maybe dying, bo- dying bodies, in, you know, infections, things like that. Okay, so mm-hmm. with all of this, with your experience of your... Now, you've had your sense of smell all, all your life, Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Then, it's, uh, does your sense of smell have benefits and drawbacks? <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. Well, your, your sense of smell is part of how you perceive the world and how you've always perceived the world. 
It has good sides and bad sides. And in general, okay, right now you're probably sitting in a, in a, in a chair, in a room. Do you even notice the smell of the furniture around you? No, okay, I so, don't. Right? Okay, so there's all kinds of smell perceptions that are so everyday and mundane, uh, mundane, just like quotidian or such, things that you've experienced all your life that you don't even notice anymore. Right? Okay, mm-hmm. that's how synesthesia is for most synesthetes, especially by the time that they get to my age. I'm over 50 years old. That synesthesia is invariable. So if the color of the sound of a piano is sky blue, it's always been sky blue. It always will be sky blue. If the color of spinach is a dark purple, it's always been a dark purple. Now, there are certain colors that I really like. There's certain things that I go after. There's certain things that I pursue because they're really nice. There's other things that I avoid. Most everything is the same thing. Just like, what, same old, same old, day after day after day after day after day. <laughs> so, right, I mean, now, you, now, you, would think that, you would think that having synesthesia would be a constant, oh, wow, experience. Well, okay, for a non-synesthete tripping on LSD for the first time at the age of 25, and seeing, say, actually seeing colors to some rock concert or something like that, it might be an all-while experience. But for somebody who is born that way and is experiencing it their whole life long, say, your, say, your pre-teen years are kind of all-while. Your teen years can be very all-while. By the end of your teen years, say, it's been the same thing day after day after day. So <laughs> the old wow factor dies out long ago. Right. <laughs> Which seems kind I of guess, odd for such an odd experience. Right. Well, yeah. but it's not odd for you. Right. That's is, the is point. your point. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the only reason I, I asked the question was um, I've heard some people say that they've kind of used their synesthesia to remember phone numbers, let's say, because they remember the color pattern. But I've always wondered about that myself because you still have to remember the well, color pattern. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, right, there have been studies of this, right? And so what, so what we find is that, okay, you take synesthesia that, for example, have colored numbers or colored letters, and indeed a lot of them do use the colors as a memory device, so that instead of remembering the number sequence, they remember the, the color sequence. Right? I'll say, yes. Or mm-hmm. instead of remembering a person's name or the spelling of the name, they remember the color sequence. Right? Yeah. But what we find is that their memory of things is not necessarily improved. They get about the same amount of things wrong, whether they're using the synesthetic, right? They, they're, they're right a little bit more than average because they've got both systems that they can use. They can use the numbers and the colors. So they're right a little bit more than the non-synesthetes are, but not by much. It's really, 
they say having this type of synesthesia is really not a major benefit. It's just sort of an interesting alternate. But it doesn't really, it doesn't really for most synesthesia with that, they don't really get a phenomenal, as a big addition to their memory. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're looking for benefits, I say my experience has been that the the ones that benefit the most are usually um, synesthetes that have some type of musical synesthesia that also decide to one way or another go into music. Hmm. Um, it's sort of a built-in auto tuner. They can measure their tune by their color, huh? Um, well, say. It, Maybe <laughs> it, it, it doesn't necessarily give you it doesn't necessarily give you a perfect pitch, but it gives you mm-hmm. a lot. It, it gives you a good add-on for innovation, so that if you're mm. if you're composing songs or trying to uh, or trying to memorize a like a classical piece for performance or something like that, um, I know of quite a lot of synesthetic musicians who memorize pieces of music by the color sequences and it's it's a handy double backup of course they're also using um that they're also using a lot of other mnemonic Mm -hmm. tricks and things like that Mm -hmm. but the colors the color sequence is there as a backup but but even more so if you're if you're like a rock musician or a jazz musician wanting to improvise and wanting to create things on the spot, then there's all kinds of different tricks that you can use for creating a jazz solo. But you know, it's like mm. I mean, you, you jump around from one trick to another trick, one idea to another idea, but here's a whole additional set of a whole bunch of ideas you can also all of a sudden jump on over and start playing with your colors, and <laughs> you get to, and you get something that a lot of other people aren't doing. <laughs> so it's, yeah, so it's, it's that's that's where I've seen some benefits. I've also seen um, some professional chefs that have flavor-related synesthesia, um, and it's like start like, start playing around with, for example, like building. A building a five course meal based upon certain colors, that mm. kind of idea. It's like um, for some it works out, for others it doesn't. But you get a lot of innovation. Well, uh, we've got to wrap up, but I just wanted to say I, I find that interesting because, as you said before, everybody's um, synesthetic associations are unique. So just because something is tasty to you based on your color scheme, let's say. I think it might just be tasty for you and not everybody else. Well, that's that could happen. Yes, that could yeah. definitely happen. <laughs> same, yeah, same with same if I was playing a jazz solo, I might think it's really colorful, but it sounds right. miserable. Yeah, right. <laughs> that can happen. Yes. Oh, yes. Well, we've got to wrap it up. Um, there's there's some more specific nuances to synesthesia that I'd like to explore in, in some additional shows that we're going to do. Um, just to give you uh, an idea, I'd, I'd like to talk about when synesthesia develops in children, um, maybe if there's some little glitches when it's developing, um, 
you know, how sometimes it m- might affect emotions, things like that. So um, everybody stay tuned for additional shows. Um, but I wanted to ask you, Sean, if somebody is interested in learning more about synesthesia, um, there's a couple things they can do. One thing is join your synesthesia list. Uh, would you like to explain how someone could do that? All that they have to do is just email me at sean.day at tridenttech.edu and just specify very explicitly that you wish to join the synesthesia list. That's all that's involved. You can you can find the synesthesia list on the internet. Just uh, just Google for it and just uh, email me, telling me that you want to join. That's all there is to it. Oh, great. And um, you and I were talking before the show that there's some also some really great Facebook groups on synesthesia, and a lot of synesthetes uh, compare their experiences. Um, there are researchers asking synesthetes questions, so I would encourage you all to just do a search on Facebook for synesthesia, and you'll find some of those. So, Dr. Day, I, I appreciate you coming on tonight, and um, perhaps we'll get to do this again in the future. I certainly hope so. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.